Right, hi everyone. Um, I'm here today with Christina. Uh, well, forgotten your surname already. Can you? Philatrism. <laughs> honestly, it's a tough one. I've got a tough business name, tough surname. <laughs> <laughs> but from Popolo Ceramico, so I got. I know I've got that right. I'm. I'm not going to pronounce it with an Italian accent, but um, but I'm assuming it's uh, it's it's Italian in its um in its origins. Um, so so Christina, um, thanks for thanks for coming on and. Um, I just wanted to start off by uh, understanding what the business offers its customers in terms of um, products and services, just so everyone can have an idea of what you do. Yeah, no problem. Um, thanks for having me on. Um, so basically, Popolo Ceramical is a ceramics business that specialises in capturing baby and children's hands and footprints in paint, clay and plaster. So, you know, baubles, plates, mugs, bowls, you name it. Um, we also have our high-end range, which is, um, we do casts, so we do like 3D casts, and we do sort of clay imprints, plaster outprints, jewellery, um, and we also do pore prints as well. So you've you've expanded. How long has the pet market kind of come into it? Was that, was that from the beginning, or was that something that's been added on? Um, it's something that's been added on. I didn't think it would be as popular as the babies. However, we have run events, um, two events at the same time, where actually the pet events have actually made more money than some of the baby events, which is just blows my mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no, absolutely. It kind of makes sense. I mean, we've, we've got a dog. I, you know, I can't say I'd ever think about getting a paw print done, but that's just me. But I think, you know, I think a lot of people, um, but then I don't buy ice cream for my dog either, but lots of people do <laughs> buy doggy ice cream and things. So yeah, you know, it's, it's out, it's, it's gone it's crazy. But um, no, I, I totally get that. And um, Christina, the, the core business or the original business when you started, I think, was back in 2010 or around then. And that's why. Right, um, yeah. What was that? How did that how did that happen? Because you are the founder. But how, how did you come to develop the business, you know, long before franchising was thought about? Yeah. Um, so back then I worked um, for BT. I was a project manager. Uh, so I used to work away from home quite a lot um, internationally around the UK, but I tend to work about sort of 60 hour weeks. Um, and then I, I basically fell pregnant and had my first child, my daughter. Um, and I knew then I thought there's no way I can go back to work in the hours, working away from home. Now I've got a child. So that's when I really started to sort of think about other things that I could do. Um, and I thought if I'm going to completely change my life, I want to do something that I'm going to really, really enjoy. Um, so I'm quite a creative person. I went to art college when I was younger and it was always something I said I'd go back to. Um, so basically I'd been to ceramic cafes and things like that, but there was nothing, there was nowhere that specifically did prints for children like a lot of the baby groups that I would go along to would have you know different people in doing you know them books and you know they'd have different people coming in but nobody doing ceramics with baby's hands and footprints um and I thought you know what this is a really good idea I'd be able to sort of work flexibly work my own hours um and do something that I really enjoy so that's basically how it all started. And the and so so as a founder, I can ask you this question, but the name Popolo Ceramico, where where did that come from? Like how long did it take you to come up with the name? Ages. 
ages and ages. I wanted something that was completely different because with a lot of ceramic cafes, they market to children. I was very different. I wanted to market to the parents. So I was marketing to adults. Um, I like interior design. What I wanted was, you know, high-end quality products that people wanted to display around the house, but they still had, you know, that kid's hands and footprints. So, you know, it was lovely keepsake. Um, so I love Italy, absolutely adore Italy. Um, so having an Italian name just seems like a good fit. Um, and I think I was in a an office, it was me and the branding guy and just popular ceramical came up. It just kind of had a really nice feel to it. And what does it what does it mean? Like for anyone non Italian, um, it doesn't have a meaning. Loosely, uh pottery for the people. So it's kind of like population in Italian, so it was pottery for the people. That was what it was basically loosely sort of based on. I like it. I like it. Okay, great. Um, yeah, no, that's good. I, I always I always look at interesting names of businesses like that and and wonder, well, wow, how you know, where did that where did that come from? There's normally an interesting story story in there. So um <laughs> oh, that's great. So and and um so so the business got started. How how fully were you committed in the beginning to that? Um, were you were you kind of juggling childcare and, and starting a business? Did you start it as kind of a hobby business and it grew from there? Or what's how did it develop? Um, no, I left my job. I went, <laughs> I was fully in it. Um, but it wasn't so much a hobby. At the end of the day, you know, I had a good lifestyle. I'd left a corporate career with a good salary. Um, you know, I had a mortgage to pay. I liked nice holidays this was going to be a business that was going to make money. Um, I think the first event that I went along to as an unknown business was in, it was in a church hall and it was like a mother and baby event. And I was there for just over an hour and I took over 500 pounds in that hour. And I thought, you know what? People like these products, this is going to work. So once I tested the market, I just sort of built it up from there really. Right. Okay. So it was a, it was a, you you started it as a full as something that was going to be a full time business. It was going to replace your your salary in in a career kind of side, and um and you had that thought from the beginning. Absolutely. Um, I had a checklist of things that I wanted. I wanted basically, I wanted to change my life. So I didn't want to work full time. I just wanted to work mainly sort of term time, ran school holidays. Um, I still had to earn a good income. And I literally just made a list of all of the things that I wanted to do. Um, I loved ceramics, so that seemed like a, a natural fit. And obviously, because I was going to all these mother and baby groups with my daughter, I'd made all of these fabulous connections. Um, so I rented space in my local pottery. So whilst I was going along to the groups, I was also sort of finding honing my skills as well. Um, and so because I've got a business background as well, sort of, well, corporate background, what I did was had a business plan, worked out how much I would make per event and how many events I would need to do in order to make, you know, X amount of money at the end of the year. Right. Okay. And, and it went, and it obviously went well. Yeah. That people love the products. Absolutely yeah. love them. Um, yeah. To the point where, you know, sometimes I had to actually take a step back and not do as many events as I'd originally planned because, you know, I had a lot of work coming in. And 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 um, at this stage, it was you. You were the creator. You would you were making all the products yourself. There was no you didn't have anyone else helping you at that point. 
initially, but that yeah. changed um, rather quickly, basically. I realised that in order to, because more, the more people that saw me at these baby groups, then they would tell their friends about it. And the more people would want us in, come into my nursery, come into my group. And I thought, I can't do this. The whole point in this was <laughs> to spend more time at home. So I thought, I'm going to have to, you know, take on a couple of people to go out to the events and get prints. And then eventually it got to the stage where um, my best friend was actually traveling around India at the time and she came back. And when she came back, I'd fallen pregnant with my second child. Um, so she was looking for work. I knew she was really creative and she could do this hands down. So I said, well, why don't you come and work with me? Why don't you be my manager? I'll take a bit of time off my second child and we'll, we'll go from there. But because we had so much work coming in, actually, when I did go back to work, um, I kept her on as well and we expand, expanded further. Okay. And so so just to jump ahead a little bit, um, when did you know, when did franchising come into any kind of thought process around around developing and growing the business? And and what was your understanding of franchising before that? Because I I um it's always really interesting because I think we all forget, you know, we're all in franchising. We've been there, you know, for some of us for quite a long time, me nearly 20 years now. Um, and, and I'm, you know, I have such clarity of when the light bulb moment happened because I didn't really know what franchising was. And I don't think anyone does until you, until you get a bit immersed in it. So it's just interesting to understand like how, you know, how that, how, how, how that developed. Um, I think we got to a stage where we realised, you know, we'd kind of hit a point where our studio, you know, only had two kilns. We could only get through so many orders. And we got to a point where we were going to have to get a bigger studio with a bigger kiln, take on more people. But the problem we were going to have if we did that is we were still only going to be in the northeast. And by that point, what had happened was people were moving away moving away so you know we had customers contacting us from Scotland from Sheffield from London and they were saying oh wow you know I've had a second baby I really want to get these products and we're like well we're only in the northeast so I think at that point I hadn't got a clue what franchising was didn't know any franchisors I think you kind of look at businesses like McDonald's don't you and think oh it's big business just like McDonald's they're the people that franchise so I went on to Google I think I typed something like how to how to grow my business or, you know, something along those lines. And basically franchising was was one of the things that, that came up. Um, and I really liked the idea of franchising because I think when you become a new mother as well, it's really difficult to get a job that you enjoy, that fits into your lifestyle and that actually makes money. I think those three things are quite difficult. So I thought myself actually, if I can offer this to other people, because of my background in trading, I thought, you know, I would be able to do that. So, yeah. So you so you saw as soon as you understood that franchising was open to anyone, if you like, or any business um, with some caveats there, that's that's when you realize your skill set and background, you could make that work um, as a as a way to grow. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Without a doubt. Um, I mean, at the time, I'm laughing because, honestly, I, I can't even believe I'm confessing this to you. But at the time, I went on and I bought um, Clive Sawyer's book on how to franchise your business. Got that book, read it cover to cover, and thought, I can do this. So I took my first pilot franchisee on. 
probably earlier than I should. And I'm not gonna lie, I didn't even have a contract in place. I mean, it was just, I, I hit lucky. I hit really lucky. It's not something I would ever advise anybody to do. Um, but literally I was having um, a franchisee call up and say, oh, so what are the next steps? And I'd get the booth and I'd flip to the page of the next steps. I'd like, right, so next I'll get the franchise agreement out to you, not realizing what a giant document and how long it would take. And I mean, it was it was just crazy, crazy. And and you know that's a good book that but but um but you can't I, I guess that's the you know that's we it's interesting you met you bring that up because because I think you know I think I think when you read a book and you start to look into it um it it kind of can be laid out quite straightforwardly where where you just think oh you, you know this 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 is this is reasonably straightforward if you as long as you've got some, some kind of background and skill set and and that kind of a thing and um but obviously the truth is is uh is always different i found and um so so what so what happened after that i mean how did you because the what we've seen over the years is that lots of businesses um they kind of they they try and do it themselves you know if that's the term to use like a do it do it yourself franchise business um and they end up you know failing and and by failing i mean they waste they they end up spending money in the wrong areas because they make decisions for themselves um they 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 take too many wrong turns they you know they take on the wrong kind of franchise owner and don't support them in the right way and 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 then they think this is just too difficult you know because it's it's and then they just back off and they go and they look at a different route um to to business growth so you know i i mean failure in that sense you know they kind of say franchising's not the right way and and actually the truth is they just didn't follow the right steps um so i mean what what would you how how did you come through that initial um where you were kind of finding out for yourself that franchising was quite a bit more complicated than it it can be written down oh absolutely without a doubt i mean if i had my time again i would do it absolutely properly you know there's a lot of people i mean like yourself who you know, is a franchise consultant. You've been through this a zillion times. I'm just trying to do it from scratch. And as I say, I was very lucky. You know, I had a, a good pilot franchise. You know, the team, the team that I then started to create, you know, I was a good team. I've got a good sense. But I think the problem is um, if you're not so lucky and you haven't got that support and things go very wrong. And I've seen this happen to people and it is just awful. And then I think franchising, if you have a bad experience, I think, and you don't have any support there, franchising can be very, very different. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And and Christina, so when was that? So to help me understand, um, how long ago did you effectively, you know, franchise your business, if, if you want to use that term? So it was 2016. Okay. Um, I was very keen on waiting until both of my kids were at school um, before I started franchising. And again, you know, I was doing a lot of it myself. So it was a lot of hard work. Yeah. Had I have actually um, had a consultancy firm that I'd used, I would have saved myself a lot of time. Um, and... Had I had my time again, I probably would have franchised sooner. But for me, it felt like the right time because I was doing so much of it myself. Yeah, yeah, and and, and you know, it's not a 
we always, you know, we, we, I always talk to people and I say, actually, d- doing it yourself is a really good thing. Like, like navigating many areas of setting up as a franchise yourself as a business owner is a really good thing to do as long as when you hit the hurdles, which could really be a problem um, or impact other people, you know, beyond you and your time, if you like. And whether it's your money or whether it's, it's um, you know, your your franchisees that you're trying to trying to bring on board. Um, that's the time that you really need to think, wow, maybe get some advice at this point and, and um, just to be able to take the next step. So, um, no, I think it's yeah, I think it's a it's a very common, you know, it's a very common story. Um, and um, and and we often you know, we often end up talking to people who have tried and gone quite far. Um, and then something's happened and it's kind of freaked them out. And that, that's where they've gone. Right. No, no. We I've now I, I just need to actually listen to someone uh, else rather than just following the book and Google and, and all the rest of yeah. things that are out there. Yeah, so, totally, totally. Yeah. So um, so so along the way, where where are you, Christina, as a franchise or now? what what's your growth been like since 2016 obviously you know we we won't talk too too much about the pandemic and because it's yeah. a you know that forever is is going to be lodged in the history of franchising around the world um as a you know as as a as a as a period of for many or for most i would say a period of um just trying to survive um there's there have been a few franchisors that that really actually grew really well, but that depended on their model. What, what, um, but how have you grown and and since 2016 till, till now, what's that looked like? So 2016 was when I took on my first pilot franchise. Um, I ran that for a year. That was very local to me. So I could sort of keep an eye on things, make sure it was, it was all good as it should. And then what I did is I opened that out regionally to the Northeast, took on, um, franchises within that area. Um, I then opened that out nationally. So since 2016, um, we have grown from having one franchise, we've now got 62 franchise territories yeah, um, with over 30 franchise um, owners. Uh, past year has been amazing for us. Um, a year ago, I bought my competitor out. Right. Um, which was tough in itself <laughs> I'll tell you a little bit more about that later but um basically that really did sort of expedite our growth like really really quickly so that meant in the past 12 months we've had 150% growth um uh, within our franchise network and 272% growth within our franchise territories and that has been um, a combination of um obviously taking on the new team um new franchisees coming on board who've taken multiple territories and also existing franchisees within the network buying additional territories okay so so yeah let's let's that's really interesting because i didn't know about that christina okay so that what was it an acquisition um and and how did that come about and your main competitor were they a franchise or were they a, a kind of a national company how how did tell me about that that's really interesting yeah so there was only two people who do what I do, which is the mobile ceramics and franchising in the UK. There's me and my competitor who was um, mainly down in Essex um, and had some franchises in Essex, London and around sort of um, Kent and that that area. Um, 
so she contacted me out the blue. So I knew, I thought, right, she get something, something's going on. Your competition don't contact you for anything. And she'd moved to France. So she was looking for somebody to um to buy the business. Um, so um essentially, you know, after a few months of going backwards and forwards, um, we agreed, we agreed on the business. So um I essentially um bought her her franchise. Brilliant. And that and that and um as a competitor at the time, like were they bigger than you in terms of numbers? Like how did you view them when because obviously you were contacted and you would have you'd have done you'd have known about them anyway, but yeah. how did you view them? Did you view them as similar? Did you view them as larger, smaller? How how did you Yeah, they were they were smaller than us because by that time we had um sort of UK reach. So yeah. we were sort of all over down in Brighton, you know, up in the northeast. Um, you know, we had like um, down in the Wirral, all over. Um, so they were mainly just in the south. But for me, because we had quite a lot of branches in the north as well, it sort of it 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 meant that we'd then become one big team. So then we'd have no competition, which was really appealing. Um, but I guess the the hardest part, it, I mean, it is without a doubt in business the riskiest thing I've ever done because essentially. You know, it's a lot of money to buy a franchise network, as you can imagine. Um, and it's it's a big risk. I'd never met the team. Uh, and essentially, they don't have to come over to my brand. So essentially, I could have been running two separate franchises under, you know, the same, same business. But um, And they also had seen me as a competitor. And then all of a sudden, one day, oh, you know that person over there who was your competitor yesterday? well that's your new franchise or and 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 so how did you because you know if i'm a franchisee with one brand um and then this yeah. acquisition happens at a high level obviously i wouldn't know anything about it until it happens um and then how did you go about navigating the communication and and um if i'm if i was one of the franchisees for your competitor how were you communicating and, and making them feel at ease and 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 helping them understand that there would be a you know the brand would be changing or and 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 all of that because that is sometimes the most difficult thing it's it's dealing with people and getting them psychologically to kind of make the change as well how, how did you do that absolutely um guess the, the first part is you know because of my background I've been a sales manager I've been a coach I've been a trainer you know, I'm a good people person. So I thought if anybody can do this, it's going to be me. Um, not to be big headed, but I thought, you know. Um, and then what I did was, first thing I did was I put a webinar out there. I thought to myself, how would I feel if this was me? And I thought, I don't want them to think that I'm going to come in, steamroller everything and say, right, this is my brand. You're coming over. This is what we're going to do. So what I did is in the webinar, I basically highlighted all the benefits of us becoming one big team and the fact that I wasn't going to steamroll it, all of the things that they did that we didn't, what we'd do is we'd look at it as a whole. And if there was things that they're doing that were not that worked well, why wouldn't we incorporate them into our brands? And if they had designs that were working that we weren't currently doing, again, why wouldn't we incorporate them? Um, so that's initially how it started. So... I think the webinar was a really good way to start because I think the initial shock, then having something that you could watch, 
where somebody's sort of really thought about all the points that you know would have been going up around in their head um was a, a really good way to, to start things so christine was that a live webinar or did you record it and then get it make sure it went out to people to watch when they when they could and when they yeah i recorded yeah. it because i thought doing a live one's going to be really tough yeah you know you know what people's lives are like yeah and i thought at least then people can watch it in their own time yeah. and then once they've had a chance to watch it what i'll do is i'll arrange a team call where they can ask questions etc yeah yeah and um and, and always when two companies merge, if you like, however that happens, um, there's always strengths and weaknesses on both sides. Um, how, what was, were there any key strengths from your competitor, things that you retain, things that you have actually, they've become part of Popolo Ceramico now, which which you learned from, from that whole process? Oh, absolutely. I mean, they had... Um products for example that we 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 don't do um clocks they were with baby's hands footprints on we never we've never done them before because i thought uh you know i, I just assumed they wouldn't sell they were selling hundreds of them and i'm like well let's get the clocks out come on let's uh let's print them up um certain processes um i would say that because we were probably bigger brand I think a lot of the processes we'd already got sort of streamlined and a lot of the things they did that were very similar to us yeah. um I guess the only difference was that I'd had a lot of experience because I worked in the pottery for five years um so I had got a, probably a lot more technical experience which was a good thing so that, that was something I was able to help with as well okay and so and and so now you're one happy family obviously um and um and 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 uh how often do you get together as a network how do you keep everyone kind of involved and because it can be very very easy in franchising for for franchisees to kind of operate um and you know everyone has their territory and everyone does the, the things they need to do to be successful um, so it can it can become easy to just feel like you're on your own. What as a franchisor, how do you draw the network together? What are some of the key things that you do to to create that feeling of togetherness? Okay, so um, we have our AGM, our annual general meeting, um, which we have every year. So we I tend to um, alternate. So I'll have one in the north, one in the south, one in the north, one in the south, which seems to work really really well. Um, so at that event, uh, we talk about you know how the how we've done as a brand in the, the previous year and also our plans moving forwards um i'm a big planner <laughs> love planning everything out so tell everybody sort of what's been going on it's a great chance for the team to all meet because they're all working independently and although we've got a group chat and we have um team calls it's a good chance for them to sort of share ideas and what's working well and what could work better um, so we have the AGM. We also have um, monthly team meetings as well. We do that on Zoom and I always record them as well. So if anybody can't make them, they can always catch up. Um, we've got the WhatsApp group, which everybody's part of. So they can all go on and, and if somebody's, so there's always somebody up. So, you know, we've got, um, you know, we've got women on our team who are breastfeeding, who are up through the night. You know, I'm up at 5.30 in the morning. There's always somebody around to answer questions. Um, and the other thing we've got is a Facebook group, 
So if there's any updates or anything that happens in between the team call that I think people need to know about, I'll go on there and I'll do a live and I'll 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 put it on there. Yeah. So there's so there's good there's good communication and everyone feels that yeah if, if they can always ask questions and get answers and know know what's going on basically because that's you know that's a key thing. Oh, uh, absolutely. And to be honest, there's um there's a few franchisors that I'm good friends with within the children's activity sector. Um, we are all very similar and we all believe in good communication. And I think the brands that do really well are the ones that communicate. Uh, they have the same message. They have the same values. Um, so yeah, I co completely agree. Um, and Christina, so tell me a bit about your franchise, um, your franchisees, um, because if there's if there's anyone listening and they're thinking, "Wow, you know, actually, I quite I quite like the idea of this business." Um, and uh, what what makes up your ideal franchisee? Like from what you've found, because you've dealt with so many people over the years, and and you've seen. Do they have to have a creative spark? Do they have, you know, do, like, do they have to be the creative, um, or, or is it more than that? And just, just help, help me understand what that yeah, profile looks yeah. like. You don't necessarily have to be creative, but it, you, it, we always look for people who enjoy being creative. So we've got like our own font that we use. We've got our own stencils. We've got our own designs. We give everybody full training and all of that kind of thing. However, at Christmas, especially when it's really, really busy, you've been to an event, you come home, sort the kids out. And then what you tend to do is get all of the items where you've got all your prints on and do all the painting and design work on an evening. So if you like being creative, then you'll have the TV on, have a cup of tea, paint them up on the kitchen table, which is how most of my franchisees operate. If you don't like being creative, that suddenly turns from being something that you really enjoy doing to a chore. So we always look for people who enjoy being creative. Um, we always look for organized people because you know that kiln can hold 80, 80 baubles. So if you've got three or four groups that you've got on the go at once and you've got order books, you need, you know, these orders going out two weeks later, you go to this group tomorrow, you've got to be on that on the ball, basically. Um, so we always look for people who are organized. Um, so creative and organized, and also, you know, approachable, outgoing, friendly. You're gonna be talking to group leaders, you're gonna be talking to parents. Um, so that's something that we always look for as well. Yeah, great. All right, thanks, thanks, Christine, on that. And um uh, and, and so just if if you stand back and look at your franchising journey, which is still continuing, um, and is at an early stage really, because um, you're you're going to grow and grow and um, and uh, and everything that goes along with that, what what are the key things that you would do differently if you had that time again, um, knowing what you know about not just franchising, just, I guess, about setting up a business uh, in the first place, um, how that went into franchising, um, taking on franchisees, finding franchisees, supporting them, um, and, and everything in between. What 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 are some of the key things that you, you this is just to really help other uh, yeah. people that are maybe just starting this journey or at an early stage, or maybe even down the journey as well. Um, uh, yeah, what 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 are some of those things that you might might have done differently? Um, realistically, I should have definitely franchised earlier than I did. I think I thought to myself, you know, I was I was comfortable. 
I had enough money coming in. I had time with my family. I thought I'll wait until the kids are at school. But in reality, had I have actually got more advice earlier on and had I have actually started earlier on, I would have grown a lot quicker and I would have been in a much better place now. Whereas, I mean, I'm not in a bad place, don't get me wrong, but I would have definitely started earlier knowing what I know now. Yeah, so that's a key. That's the key thing, you know, for, for you, you would have started earlier. Um, and, and it's not that's not a bad thing. Right. So that's not a that's yeah. not a that, that's that's nothing negative at all. And, um, you know, again, you you you've got to prove that your business works well, which it obviously was. But it was it was working well for a while. That's that's your point, isn't it? So you had a great business for a yeah. long while. And that's why the franchising option could have come sooner. Um when you started, when you had, you know, when you'd got your offer together, um, I mean, we call it a blueprint, right? When you've built your blueprint of the business, um, what what key things did you learn about attracting the right people? Because that's always a big, big step is, can, can I get people to show an interest in my business model? Because that's, you know, that's what franchising is all about. Um, what, what, yeah, what would you have done differently, if anything? I mean, you might have just nailed it, but um, yeah, I just I'm, I'm always I'm always interested to hear where you went, where you spent money, where you put yourself about to attract people that that wanted a, a Popolo Ceramico franchise. Um, essentially, I think uh, I mean I did waste a lot of money on Facebook ads and things like that, but and what I did was I targeted everybody. Yeah. I targeted everyone who would want the franchise. I didn't want to leave anybody out. What I should have actually done is sat down and went, actually, you know, I pretty much know now that it's creative mums in general that want a franchise. Normally yeah. between about the age of 26 and 56, I would say. I didn't know that then. I literally would just go out and target everybody. Um, so I would have I would have definitely um been more niche when I was I was targeting. And that's probably a bit of hindsight, though, isn't it, Christina? So yeah, I, I think um, I, I see it all the time. Um, you've got to, in a way, you've got to cast the net wide um, yeah. without wasting too much, you know, marketing budget and money, which can happen very easily, um, especially when you go with yeah, with the, the digital world we live in now. Um, and but but what you have obviously really truly come to understand is that as you've built your franchise network you now know really strongly what that profile looks like. Um, and and I think I think what is really important, and you make a point about that, is I think you do have to try and um, identify what your ideal franchisee profile is going to be like um, without then uh, pigeonholing your marketing only in that channel because you don't really know you know you don't really know you you obviously know now because you've got a lot of lot of people um but you don't you don't really know so you know i it's not a it's not a bad thing to to cast that net wide and then you know then and then narrow it down um and and christina with support because uh, for all business owners that go into franchising the first thing is can we grow you know can we find franchisees um and you, you know you either tick that box or you don't. But when you start getting people on board, the next thing which no one's ever done before at, from a business owner level is support franchisees. You know you're used yeah. to supporting staff. You've had staff. You've you know that kind of thing. But 
and um, and you've dealt with customers, that's all that's all easy if you like, because you 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 kind of you know what you're doing. But but franchisees are different. Um, and and so what did you learn like when you started to take on franchisees from your pilot and then and then just from what I call kind of strangers, right? Because normally normally the pilot starts with someone within your circle, whether it's a friend or family, and and they come on board um and help you and 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 they become the pilot. But when you started finding, you know, people from outside, um what would yeah, what did you what were the key things that you learned and you learned quickly normally about communication and about the support that people needed? Um Stephen, I guess first thing I, I would always say as well when you are recruiting franchisees is always trust your gut. Always trust your gut. If you have a feeling that somebody's not quite right, it's so important that you don't take them on because at the end of the day, if they're not right for you and you're not right for them, what you're going to end up with is a lot of your time spent trying to mold them into the right franchisee when they're not the right franchisee. It's not good for anybody. Um, but for me, I think I think I soon started to realise that all the franchisees that were coming on board, we all had similar traits. We were all creative. We all enjoyed doing the work. We all had kids. We all enjoyed chatting to um, drums. I guess where I could really add value was because of my background being in sales um, and marketing and things like that. And, you know, a lot of my franchisees were from all kinds of different backgrounds. So this was, I knew this was, where I could really give some good support and help them on their journey. Yeah, and that's like, so, so. So marketing. Let's let's touch on that a bit. Okay, so you have a background in sales and marketing. Most successful businesses, which before you became a franchise, you were a successful business, um, and you'd obviously nailed down your marketing, um, your way of marketing, way of attracting customers. How did that? How did you need to think differently when you were? giving advice about how a franchisee needed to market in their area. Because what we see is that successful businesses develop normally over three, four, five, six years. So I think, you know, before you franchise, you've been going five or six years. Yeah. Um, and, and during that time, you make lots of mistakes and you learn what works from a marketing perspective and obviously a sales. But if we focus on marketing, how did you, how did you design the marketing to help a franchisee in an area where they can't take five years to grow their business. You know, they need to grow a lot quicker. So the marketing, uh, I kind of calling it, I call it a marketing out the box. How, how did you create yeah. your marketing out the box package, if you like, for, for, for franchisees? So we have like a share drive um, and we have, we, well, we now have a training portal as well that all of our franchisees can access. So we do one day in-person training with them where we show them how to take prints, how to glaze, how to fire, all of that kind of stuff. And then they get four days training online. And the training online that we do with them, literally one of them is on marketing and it tells them the exact steps that they need to take in order to be successful and to hit the ground running. We're very lucky because uh, I guess, although we're in the children's activity sector, um, we sort of piggyback onto other businesses. So say, for example, you've got, you know, um, a franchise that does music. So they do music classes for kids, for babies. So they'll already have a class of babies 
what we then do is we would go and speak to the person who runs the classes and say, hi, this is what we do. Can we come in and set up a little table at the back? So we've already got a target market straight away rather than having to go out there, do digital marketing and find our market, if that makes sense. So it's, it is a kind of easier model, I guess, because you're not starting from scratch. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, I think um, franchising is very community led and community based or most franchises are because because it is someone in the local community offering services and products to the local to their local community. And um, and I think a lot of people forget that. And so it's really, really important, especially certainly in your business to to create a name for yourself in that local community. And and you're right, you know, di digital marketing and everything else, um, it can be very difficult to do that uh, and, and, and create that, um, that brand awareness, I suppose. Um, so it depends on the customer, but yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. So, but that's what, that's what, that's what you, you'd obviously learned to do that in your own business originally. Um, yeah. and it was just about tweaking that and applying it because you knew what worked over the years. Um, and therefore, therefore they, you, you know, you knew you could provide people with the advice and guidance to go, to be able to go and, and grow more quickly. Um, oh, absolutely absolutely yeah. what i would always say as well is i always tell my franchisees when they first start as well go and if you can go and speak to the person if they're up the road from you go and meet them go and have a conversation in real life because you get you get a real feel for the person when you actually when you when you meet them i would always have an email um as a, a very last resort because i think it's just very sort of you know how many emails do you miss on a day-to-day -day basis? Um, well, yeah, if you're asking me a lot, so <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. I know, yeah, you probably you probably get a lot of emails, um, Christina, as well. So it's, it's yeah, it's good to have those communication platforms that that step outside of email for sure. So, um, Christina, lastly, um, or as a, as a franchise brand, so if we're looking at, you know, if we're talking about franchising, what, how do you define success? So as a franchise brand, I mean, it's easy to do it as a business and you can look at numbers and profits and everything else, but how, how would you define success as a franchise? I think for me, um, for me, success is having a business that run or a franchise network that can run itself if I'm not there. So for me, I think a few years ago, I realized I was, I was really sort of, burnt out um I was trying to do everything myself and it was it was too much and I was really lucky because I had Amy who was um she had her own franchise within my network um but she also had some business background and she'd been working a lot more with me so she sold her franchise and come on board with me um as franchise operations so she was there all the time that for me changed everything that for me was success because then if anything happened in my own life you know, and I needed to take time away, go on courses, whatever it was. Amy was there. So I wasn't letting my franchisees down because there was always somebody there to help them. But it also meant that I could step away and I could actually, you know, work on growth and building the business and doing all the things that, you know, a CEO should be doing. Um, so for me, real success is having those processes in place so you can run a successful business. Everybody's happy. You've got a good team. And um, yeah, no, that's good. Oh, yeah, it's the old cliche, isn't it? As as a franchisor, you really need to 
be able and as a leader of the franchise you know franchise brand you need to have time to work on the brand not you know not just in the in the business and and that's what that's what you're talking about there and you know christine i know you like planning you've talked about it um think into the future what what do your plans look like you know do you like like if you wrote down your five-year plan for for popolo ceramica and you might indeed have done that what what does that look like like how what yeah where, where do you see this going so within the next couple of years um we'd look to have at least 100 franchise territories in the uk um of the one of my franchisees is Australian and she's gone back over to Australia. So we're looking at taking um, Pablo Ceramico into Australia. Um, I also want to expand into other countries as well, look at master franchisors. So that might be another conversation we'll have to have separately. <laughs> okay. um, but yeah, I think now that we are the only people doing it, it would be crazy not to go for, you know, crazy growth and just take it as far as we can. I like it. That's that's. Uh, I like the ambition, Christina. It's what every good <laughs> franchise brand. You know, I think I think you you. Um, what I've found talking to lots of people is that you grow ambition, and and that ambition grows bigger the more success you have at a you know at a at a at a country level um uh, in the uk in this case and so um so yeah well look christina thanks so much for your time um and and good luck with all of that and i'm sure we'll see each other uh, around um <laughs> uh absolutely honestly thank you so much for having me on it's been uh it's been great to catch up again because obviously we've met in person a few times now but um yeah it's been really good and um thank you very much <laughs>